I would like to dedicate this podcast, Li'ilui Nishmotam, for the ascension of the soul of the children and teachers who died in Newtown, Connecticut. When we heard of the terrible event at Sandy Hook School, several students of mine, in their anguish, turned to me with a cry, But where was God? God's name is the one who is good and does good. The Zohar tells us that he is the master of the worlds, the root principle of all. Everything flows from him. In our hearts we know this. And then our cry, but where was God? How could this be allowed to happen? Becomes even more poignant. We, of course, have not been the first to ask this question, nor will we be the last until the final redemption and the Messiah comes. God and his providence is actually concealed from us in our usual state of consciousness. This is the inner meaning of the word olam, meaning world, which comes from the Hebrew root, which means hidden. God is hidden in the world. Why is he so hidden? Why can we not see the goodness of God clearly? Surely it would be easier to serve him if his goodness were revealed. But we not only need to believe in God as creator and in his names that he is good, but also to believe that the way he gave us, the way of faith, is in fact the best way for us to come to him. This last Shabbat, I took down a book off the shelf I had not opened before. It's the book Eish Kodesh, Sacred Fire, which consists of a collection of teachings given by the Rabbi Kalonymus Kalman Shapiro, the Holy Rebbe of Pizetsna, during the Holocaust in the last two years of the Warsaw Ghetto. In the midst of the worst mindless slaughter of innocent men, women and children, he comforted, reached out and taught his community. He himself lost his son, his daughter, his wife, his daughter-in-law, all within a few days. After the destruction of the Warsaw Ghetto, he himself was taken to a death camp and murdered. When it was clear to him that he was not going to survive, he buried his writings in a churn beneath the rubble of the destroyed ghetto. They were found subsequently by a Polish worker and found their way to Rabbi Shapiro's brother in Israel after the war. I would like to read to you from his talk, which he gave on Hanukkah, because he lived through it. He lived through the worst suffering, and yet he spoke and taught on faith. This reading comes to you from the translation of Eish Kodesh, Sacred Fire, Torah from the Years of Fury, published by Jason Aronson and translated by Hershey Warch. Hanukkah, December 15th to 22nd, 1941. In the days of the Hasmonean high priest, Matityahu ben Yohanan and his sons, when the evil Hellenic Empire conquered your people Israel, compelling them to neglect your Torah and stray from your desired statutes, at that time of distress, you in your great mercy stood up for them. You took up their grievance, avenging their wrong. You delivered the strong into the hands of the weak and the many into the hands of the few. You put the corrupt into the hands of the undefiled, 
the wicked into the hands of the pious, and the savage into the hands of diligent students of your Torah, making yourself a great holy name in your world. For your people Israel, you wrought great victory and salvation as clear as the day. So your children went into the holy sanctuary, cleansing and purifying the temple, and kindling lights in your holy courtyard. They fixed these eight days of Hanukkah as a festival to express appreciation and to praise your great name. That's from the Hanukkah liturgy. The Rabbi of Piazetzna opens his discourse. Let us try to understand. When the evil Hellenic Empire was compelling Jews to neglect the Torah, it was not the Jews who were in trouble. It was also, so to speak, God's problem. So why do we say, you, in your great mercy, stood up for them, when God was really standing up for himself? Let us try to understand, at least a little, with our limited intelligence, why, when speaking of the faith of Abraham, our father, the Torah says, Abraham believed in God, and he considered it righteousness. Genesis chapter 15 Why was it that with our father Abraham, faith was considered an act of righteousness, while the faith of the Jews who were in Egypt was not considered righteousness? Even though the verse says, the people believed and heard that God had remembered the Jewish people. Exodus chapter 4 This is even more difficult to comprehend when we consider that for the Jews in Egypt, faith was more challenging than it was for Abraham. God did not speak directly to them, nor did they even know God's name. Moses said to God, when they ask me what your name is, what shall I say to them? The Jews of Egypt were in such pain and distress that as it is written, because of their broken spirit and the hard work, they could not listen to him. It may be perhaps understood as follows. It is often taught in sacred literature that faith is not simply confidence substituting for certainty. Faith is the light and holiness of God inside the Jew. This inner light resonates to the holiness of God's brilliance and is tied and bound to it. Faith is intrinsic to Jews. It is an inheritance passed down to us from our ancestors, and therefore we say in our prayers, God, our God, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The fact that he is our God and that we believe in him has nothing to do with reason or logic. He is God, our God, because we are tied to him through our ancestry. Only Abraham, our father, did not inherit faith. And so of him it is said, Abraham believed in God, and he considered it righteousness. It is not said of the Jews of Egypt that their faith was considered an act of righteousness, because faith was already instilled inside of them as an inherited tray. Even for our patriarch Abraham, the Torah tells us, it was only his faith that was considered an act of righteousness. It is not written that God considered his meeting other challenges, such as the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, acts of righteousness. 
Even though the Akeda was the sternest of tests, it depended on the level of Abraham's faith. The greater and more powerful the faith, the stronger and more capable of self-sacrifice is the worshipper. Only Abraham's faith was remarkable and considered a righteous act. His sacrifice of Isaac in the Akeda was nothing more than the natural consequence of his faith. Because worship depends on faith, a Jew's faith must be wholehearted, for it is only total, selfless faith that enables Israel to give its life for God. If the faith is flawed and only half-hearted, how can it empower anyone to self-sacrifice? Total, selfless faith means continuing to believe in him even in times when God is concealed, in times of Hester Panim. To believe in him with faith that everything comes from him, that everything is beneficial and just, and that all the agony and anguish is filled with God's love for the Jewish people. To our grief, we see that even amongst those whose belief was always wholehearted, there are now certain individuals whose faith has been damaged. They question God, asking, Why have you forsaken us? If we are being tortured in order to bring us closer to Torah and worship, they argue, then why, on the contrary, is the Torah and everything holy being destroyed? Now, if a Jew utters these words in a form of prayer or supplication, as an outpouring of his heart before God, it is a good thing. But if, God forbid, he really is questioning, even if not God directly, but his internal faith, God forbid, then may God protect us. Faith is the foundation of everything. If the faith of a person is, God forbid, damaged, then the person is torn asunder and distanced from God. Souls condemned to Gehenna emerge purified and cleansed after having repented. We hope to God that all those suffering these tortures now will rise cleansed, purified and closer to him. But the soul of someone whose faith is damaged is like a soul enjoying Gehenna while continuing to add offences to its sins. After a time, upon examining itself, the soul sees the situation and asks itself, What have I achieved with all this suffering if I am just as solid now as I was before? In all honesty, what room is there, God forbid, for doubts or questions? Admittedly, Jews endure suffering of the sort with which we are currently afflicted only every few hundred years. Still, how can we expect or hope to understand these, God's actions, and then allow our faith to be damaged, God forbid, upon finding that we cannot understand them? If one blade of grass created by God is beyond our understanding... How much more unfathomable is the soul? And if we do not understand a soul, how much less do we understand an angel? And how much less, even than this, can we understand the mind of God? How could we possibly expect to grasp with our mind what God knows and understands? What excuse does a person have to question God and have his faith damaged by this prevailing suffering more than all the Jews who went through suffering in bygone times? Why should a person's faith be damaged now if it was not damaged 
when he read descriptions of Jewish suffering from antiquity to the present day in Scripture, the Talmud or Midrash. May God have mercy and call an end to our suffering. May he save us now, immediately, forthwith and forever. The reason why today's suffering can damage someone's faith more so than it did in the past is only because he is more self-centred than he used to be. His pain affects him more than it once did. If someone says that he flinches only at seeing the torture of others, it may in fact be true that he's feeling compassion for his fellow Jews, but the truth is also that deeper down, inside himself, his compassion is really terror of being forced to go through such awful torture himself. It is this that damages his faith and feeds his doubts, God forbid. As we've already said, a person must relinquish his life, his self-centeredness and his bias, for only then will his faith be undamaged. He will be able to continue affirming with perfect faith that everything happening is just and a manifestation of God's love for the Jewish people. With our limited perspective, we suggest that there may be a hint of this in the Talmud. Rabbi Akiva was reciting the Shema while his flesh was being raked with iron combs. His students asked, Our Rabbi, thus far? He answered them, All my days I have been at pains over this verse in the Shema. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. When will I ever have the opportunity of fulfilling it, I asked myself. But right now, I have the opportunity to love God with all my soul. Should I not grasp it? If we approach this at the simple level, then the well-known question arises, why would the students of Rabbi Akiva, who are themselves remarkable for their individual piety, have asked, Ah, Rabbi, thus far? They were well aware that every Jew is prepared to give his life for God. Furthermore, why did Rabbi Akiva answer them by referring to himself, when he might have answered more directly by simply quoting the verse, Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, even if God demands your soul. With what we have said above, this can perhaps be explained in a way that teaches us something about our own plight. The terrible tortures Rabbi Akiva endured caused such great suffering in his disciples that they were provoked to ask the same question that was asked by Moses when he was shown this same event. Is this Torah and this is its reward? The disciples were afraid that, God forbid, they might have doubts, however fleeting, as a result of their emotional and visceral response, and that their faith might be damaged. They wanted their teacher, who was so powerful in his faith, to speak of his belief, so that his faith might inundate them. When they asked, Our Rabbi, thus far? They were saying, can you be our teacher thus far, even into the circumstances of this terrible death? Perhaps they did not articulate their question fully or make it more specific, but merely hinted at it in order to avoid invoking the response that the Talmud says had already been given to Moses, be silent. 
Rabbi Akiva understood that the students were not questioning God, but rather begging him to bestow upon them some of his faith. And so he told them something about himself and his own aspirations to faith. All my life I was in pain over this verse. Right now I have the opportunity to love God with all my soul. Should I not grasp it? At that time, in Rabbi Akiva's age, when the divine decree was against only the ten martyrs who were put to death by the Roman emperor, the students sought a bolstering of their faith through the words of Rabbi Akiva. Now, however, when the decree of martyrdom is upon the whole Jewish people, God forbid, we must look to strengthen our faith by looking at the decree of martyrdom itself. It is a well-known teaching from Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Ladi that even the least sincere Jew commonly finds himself unable to resist the urge to sin, is nevertheless prepared to give his life for God when tested. This is because when his enemies try to extinguish the spark of his soul with their heresy, may the merciful one protect us, the tiny spark bursts into flame and grows stronger and more powerful as is well known. If only people would bear in mind that it is not because we robbed or did anything wrong to anyone that we are being persecuted, but because we are Jews, children of Israel, bound to God and to his holy Torah. Firstly, it would explain why our enemies are not satisfied with just killing us or extinguishing the divine spark inside us, but feel that they have to annihilate simultaneously both body and soul of the Jew. Then, if we could only bear it in mind, our faith and our cleaving to God and to the Torah, would, on the contrary, burgeon and strengthen. But because we tend to feel only our physical pain and not the spiritual pain, and because we fail to remind ourselves that what we are enjoying is actually a war upon God and the Torah, therefore there are certain individuals who experience a weakening of their faith. The Hellenes, in Hasmonean times, also tried to compel them to neglect the Torah and stray from the statutes. They did this with the torture and oppression of Israel, as is recorded in the writings of Josephus, and through the spread of Hellenic culture among the Jews. It even reached a point where they said to Jews, write upon the horn of your ox that you have no portion in the God of Israel, as is known from the Midrash. At that time, the Jews knew that the purpose of all the physical suffering was to make them forget the Torah, to make them stray from the desired statutes. This was what they worried about. It was the chief cause of their pain, and so their faith grew stronger. And God's salvation came to them in merit of their faith. Thus the liturgy reads, At that time of distress, you in your great mercy stood up for them. You took up their grievance avenging their wrong. The distress of the people of Israel was not at their physical pain, but at the efforts of the Hellenes to destroy God's Torah and worship. That is why you stood up for them, and you saved them. The tragedy at Newton, Connecticut happened on Hanukkah. Many people are asking what should be done. I pray that all practical steps and lessons that should be taken will be taken. But there is another factor. In the Haftorah, 
the reading of the prophets that we read on Shabbat Hanukkah. The prophet Zechariah says, On that day, says the Lord of hosts, call each man to his neighbor beneath the vine and beneath the fig tree. And the angel who was speaking with me returned and awoke me as a man wakes from a dream. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I saw, and behold, there is a golden manoa with a bowl for the oil at its top and seven candles on it, and there are seven tubes for each candle. There are two olive branches by it, one on the right-hand side and one on the left-hand side. And I answered and said to the angel who was speaking to me, saying, What are these, my lord? And the angel who was speaking to me said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. And he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, It is not by strength of arms, nor by might, but with my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This audio recording is brought to you from Nahora School, established by Yadita Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Hudalev Ashlag. Studies with Yadita Cohen are available through the Nahora School online. Details at www.nahoraschool.com or www.nahorapress.com.